0: We come now to the chapter 12, to the prophet Samuel's exhortation to the people. I highlight the climax of the sermon. Whenever God breaks in, in verse 18, Samuel called on to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord. And Samuel now, here we have what I call the divine interruption into the meeting. The divine interruption into the meeting. I take the meeting here where this sermon is addressed, I'm continuing on up to the end of chapter 11. It's a sermon at Gilgal. At the meeting are four parties, four groups, and I want to remind you of them. They're very carefully stated and there's an emphasis upon who's present not only at the end of chapter 11 but also here in chapter 12 there's a prophet who's leading the gathering and giving the sermon verse 1 Samuel said unto all Israel behold I behold I and then verse 3 behold here I am I'm here in the meeting you can see me so Samuel's very much present giving the exhortation and then there's the people because Samuel said unto all Israel it's a massive gathering there's a great representation from all the land and Samuel's addressing all Israel and he's saying I've hearkened unto your voice you who are present I've listened to what you said and now I want you to listen what I have to say to you from God So he is addressing the present people. And then there is the newly anointed king. That's emphasized. Verse 2. And now behold. Look. Your king. Here he is. There you can see him. Look at him. Behold him. Behold the king. He's present. And then he says in verse 3. Behold here I am. Witness against me before the Lord. And before his anointed." He's here. I want you to be with us before him. So there's an emphasis on the king's presence in the meeting. The one who wrought the victory for Jabesh Gilead. The one who was the deliverer and the destroyer of Nahash the Ammonite. And of course, last, but by no means the least, but rather the most important of all, there is the law. The Lord is present because we read here verse 3 Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. So the Lord's present as well. He's as much present as Saul is present because you're to witness before him and before the anointed. So he's as really present though invisible, but as really present as Saul. Samuel's conscious of God's presence. Samuel knows God is there. In fact, God is the first person there. He's the one who has brought them to the meeting place. He's the one who has called them to have it here in Gilgal. So all of these are present. And I dare say, Not only the Lord from heaven is present. Also his angels too. Though we're not told that. But the Lord's never without his angels. So we can be sure there are angels at the meeting as well. Even here we believe. Angels at the meeting too. That's why meetings are vital. That's why meetings are so important in the Christian church. And there's nothing to replace them. Because meetings bring together at one time, in one place, for this powerful interaction of living persons. A meeting is a place in time-space of live interactions of living persons. And you can't create that any other way but by a meeting. In a meeting place. And that's why meetings are so important in the Church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to replace them. Now, a lot is said by Samuel here in this chapter. It's mostly him exhorting the people. And we have to listen to what he says, and we will eavesdrop on his sermon, but we'll not do that to any large extent tonight. I want you to know, however. That his sermon here is not the usual sermon. By that I mean it's not the usual sermon that you would be used to in church. It's a sermon that awakens the assembly. It's a sermon that shakes the saints. It's a sermon that opens heaven. And gets a divine intervention. And brings down the thunder and the rain. And it's different. Now ordinarily the preacher preaches for a time. 35 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever. Non-stop. No interruptions. No responsive comments from the people in the main. Perhaps an odd amen. Perhaps a silent praise the Lord. But never interruptions. The sermon never ceases really. Until the end of it. But that's not the way it is here. There are several interruptions. There are three times whenever Samuel breaks off his sermon and he actually stops, three times the people interact and actually Samuel speaks to the people four times. uh, Broken up by three interruptions. Verse 1 we read, Samuel said unto all Israel, And then we read in verse 5, he said unto them, that's the second time he begins to speak, Uh, after the people have have interrupted there in verse 4, thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us. The answer again at the end of verse 5, the Lord is, he is witness. Then verse 6, Samuel said unto the people. And then verse 20, after another interruption, Samuel said unto the people. So the places of interruption are clearly marked. Because each section begins and he said unto the people. The Holy Spirit is highlighting it. These interruptions. And this shows, and, and this is a lesson that we ought to learn about preachers and preaching. This shows that preachers are not robots and they're not CDs. And their sermons, sermons are not robotic. Samuel doesn't send a recording. That the people have just to sit and listen to it. That's not what he does. We're reading the recording. We have the recording. But this isn't a recording this day. This is a live interaction. This is a sermon, an exhortation. And by, by, by the very nature, it's, it's alive, it's taking place live. That's the thing about sermons and meetings and the interaction. Sermons and exhortations are not recordings. Now they can be recorded and you can listen to the recordings but they're secondary. The sermon is a living exhortation when it is given out. And that's the time when it's most blessed if it's going to bless at all. So there has to be this interaction between the preacher and the people. It's not a robot, not a recording. A sermon, you see, requires presence. Presence of preacher, presence of people, presence of the Holy Spirit. Recordings are fine, and they have their place, and they're useful, but the Holy Spirit usually most mightily works in meetings. Now Samuel could have wrote the exhortation out. He could have wrote the sermon out. He could have sent criers write the whole land. That will not bother the people. I write down a sermon and I'll send a dozen criers write different parts of the land. And they can read it. They can read it. But that's not the way. No, they have to come. They have to come to the meeting. They have to come before the Lord. And they're going to get an exhortation. There's going to be a living interaction and the Spirit of God is going to be present in that living interaction of people because the Spirit dwells in people and he works in people and he especially works in his people when they come together in the meeting. The wisdom of God ordains meetings. Now as I said Samuel could have sent out criers but it would not have had the same response. There wouldn't have been the same atmosphere. There wouldn't have been this move of God that took place. There wouldn't have been this breaking in of God into the meeting that they witnessed. There would been none of that. It had just been a text. Just a word, as it were. Without warmth. But the wisdom of God ordains meetings. Because meetings get a response. Get an interaction. Meetings and sermons and exhortations do something in God's people. Sermons are about getting a response. And that's what happens here. Samuel gets a response at the meeting. And to get that response, the people have to be in one time space. As I say, ordinarily, people don't interrupt. And the preacher doesn't stop for them to interrupt and interact and give a response. But what I'm saying is, every preacher wants to see a response. Every preacher ought to get a response. Because the sermon is designed for a response of some kind. As I say, I don't encourage interruptions. I'm not looking for responsive interaction visibly to appear at that particular moment. But nevertheless, sermons are practical. And the people are responding, or ought to respond. There ought to be something happening when an exhortation is going. The people ought to be, even in their hearts, saying something. In their minds saying something. And something should be taking place inside them. That's what sermons do. Sermons do a work in the heart. And they call for some movement on the part of the people. You see, sermons aren't lectures. Filling your heads with facts and figures and a whole lot of information. Sermons are not just for knowledge. If God only wanted you to have information, he would just say, just stay at home and just read your Bible. Just study and get the facts. But sermons are are more than information and the facts of the Bible. Sermons are to move the heart. God wants the heart moved. And there's nothing moves the heart more than the interaction with a living fellow human being. Especially if that human being has even a little measure of the Holy Spirit of God. Sermons, preaching, exhortation, they call for believing, obedient response. Sermons prod. Sermons warm. Sermons do something internally. Sermons give you movement. They give you motion. They strengthen you. They motivate you. They encourage you. They maybe even anger you and madden you. But they do something. They're meant to do something. Something happens with the sermon. And I tell you, there were things happened with this sermon. Not only on earth, but even in heaven. There were things happened with this sermon. What do you see there in verse 18? The Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord. That's, that's a great work done in the heart. And the sermon was part of that. Because if it had to be just thunder and rain, you know, well, this is a bit unusual. But because it was linked to the sermon, the exhortation, they were filled with fear. Something happened. So the sermon wasn't the whole part of the story, but it was a major part of the story. It was vital. Brethren and sisters, a sermon is not a preparation for an examination. It's not something you have to memorize. The preacher doesn't expect you to memorise the sermon. It's not something that you're going to have a quiz on afterwards. It's something that demands your reaction in your heart there and then. And you don't really go out with the sermon. Because as soon as you get in the car you may have forgot most of it. But you go out something with the change that the sermon has brought inside to you internally. That's what sermons are about. To change us. To do something in us. And this is God's way. The sermons are rhetoric. For rhetorical effect. To leave an impression upon your soul. Like on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached mightily filled with the Holy Spirit, When they heard this, pricked in their hearts. That's a meeting place. That's a sermon. That's people and preacher. Same time and space. The Holy Spirit present pricked in their hearts. You don't get that on a CD. You don't get that on sermon audio. Not the same. No way. They said... Men and brethren, what shall we do? There's a crying out. You know, in times of revival, there used to be that. You don't see that on video now. You don't hear that on CDs now. And we have to ask why? What's happening? Have we lost the importance of the meeting? Have we lost the importance of getting out to church? Do we think the online church is going to do it? To replicate it? To give us it? Preachers have to be careful whenever they preach. That they're not just conveying information. Not just displaying their Bible knowledge and their theological knowledge. It's easier for preachers to do that. Oh, We know so much theology. I want to get it all out. I want to fill people's heads with it. Well that's not the work of a preacher. To fill people's heads with theology. He has to fill his own head with theology. And his own heart with it too. But it's not his job to fill the people's head with it. It's his job to get people to walk with God. To be like the Lord. To have a change in their lives. And they go home and they do the reading and the study. And they can fill their heads with all the theological knowledge that they please. Preaching. Is more than that. Sermons are to get people to the Lord. Sermons are relevant to the needs of the people. Sermons get people to know and love the Lord. Sermons are meant to get people soft and tender and broken, believing and obedient. Sermons are to melt the people, are to change them in some way, to draw forth a response of some kind. Not to the preacher, but a response to the Lord, whom the preacher is meant to glorify and exalt. A sermon ought to make people say, I've heard the Lord today, and I have to change. Now, making sermons like that is no easy task for a preacher. And no preacher ever perfects it. No preacher ever gets a perfect sermon And every preacher is always unhappy with his sermons. Because no preacher can do it perfectly. But all his ministry long, he works at it and does his best. Every preacher does that. But of course, you have to keep on praying for your poor preacher. That he gets the Spirit's help to do that. When you pray that, you know that if he gets that help, the one who's going to benefit you. You'll be the one who benefits by praying for your preacher. And so, you should think like that. If he gets the sermon right, you'll get the challenge from God's word that you're meant to get. However, not only do people interact and interrupt, they are not the only ones interacting and interrupting here. There is someone else who reacts and interrupts the thing that really stands out here in this meeting is the divine interruption there's some more important one at the meeting than the people it's the lord it's the lord who brings the blessing it's the lord who makes the sermon a blessing it's the lord who works with the sermon and it's the lord who reacts to the sermon and prayer from the preacher in some kind of way and you only get that at a meeting. That's my emphasis. You can't replicate that on CD or in sermon audio. The meeting is with God. And the meeting is for God to be with his people in a time-space arena. God interacts with them. You remember the Savior said, were. That's place. Place. Were. Two or three or Gathered together. That's place. Do you see how he emphasizes place, time, space, place? Were two or three gathered together there? Not floating around in the airways or in the internet. Or you know, all time, space. No. His fellowship, his people, there I am. In the midst. You can't replicate that. You have to be in a meeting to experience that. That's what I'm saying. And that presence in the midst of his people as they congregate around him it's that presence that gives the blessing. And it's that presence that gives the living power to the sermon. And it's that presence that brings the interaction that should take place between all these living souls And the eternal spirit. It was not the sermon alone that brought the transformation that day. It was the Lord accompanying the sermon. You will notice Samuel broke off the sermon at verse 18. So Samuel called unto the Lord. He hasn't finished the sermon. In the middle of the sermon he just prays and he calls upon the Lord. He breaks off. As if led by the Spirit. Lord, it's it's time for you now to interact here. It's time for you now, Lord, to say something. It's time for a sign. It's time for a token. And he's led by the Spirit. And he says this. And he prays. He called upon the Lord. What did he pray? Well, we're not actually told. If you read the Verses 16 and 7, you get a clue, you get a fair good idea. He says, now therefore stand, see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. They haven't yet repented of their asking for a king. So Samuel's pointing it out. Samuel's convicting them. He says, Lord, you speak now. You thunder. I'm going to call upon the Lord. but don't know what like, the words that he said are, but he probably said something like, like Lord, speak thyself now. Lord, show thy hand now. Lord, You witness yourself now. And he responds. Notice how he says in verse 16. Stand and see this great thing. The same word is used in verse 7. Now therefore stand still. That I may reason with you before the Lord. Of all the righteous acts. Now stand. Standing still. This particular word means. Present yourself. You're here in body. You can be seen. You're standing. You're present. You're presenting yourself in your body at least. But I want your minds too. I want all of your humanity here now. Giving its full attention here. And you're going to see something. You're going to hear something. So they had to be present. You can't replicate this on the CD. Stand. Present yourself Now. So here they are in the meeting. They're standing. They're presenting themselves. They're present. They're there. It means a complete presence. The same word is used of Goliath the Philistine. Remember 40 days? Every day he come out. He walked down to the valley. Every day he presented himself. He stood still in the valley. He presented himself to Israel. He was at the place. He was in that time-space. And these people are in that time-space there, as we emphasize at the end of chapter 11. There's an emphasis in this chapter about the importance of being there. You have to present yourself at the meeting. You have to be there. If you can be. Not Zoom. Zoom. Not internet. There. The Lord is going to do a great thing. So stand and see this great thing. Which the Lord will do. Right before your eyes. Right now this day. Before your very eyes. You see. What would have been the point. Sending out criers all around Israel. They wouldn't have seen anything. But here. Now. Now. Before their very eyes. God's going to do something. He's going to break into the meeting. Right before their very eyes. Right at this time. And he will witness That you're asking a king. Was a great wickedness. It's a wheat harvest. It's not a time of thunder and rain. Praise the Lord. Usually the Lord doesn't send thunder and rain. At wheat harvest. It would ruin all the wheat. But this day. God is going to thunder the rain upon the harvest. That's a powerful sign. It's a great miracle in actual fact. It shows the divine power. And there are echoes here of Egypt. You remember Egypt? The Egyptians, they were hard hearted, they were cruel. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. And the fire ran along the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt, and all the the trees were ruined and destroyed. It has echoes of that. You're just as hard as the Egyptians. You stand still a while and see this. He didn't send them the ten plagues, but He chastened them. He sent the rod to accompany His word. It's a, a sign of God's presence, a sign of His power but it's also a sign of his judgment. It's a rebuke. And a sharp, scolding rebuke it is too. But they needed it. It takes the rod to accompany the Word. See, that's the thing about preaching and preaching the Word. You don't know what the Lord is doing in people's lives and how he's accompanying it in his providence. Preacher knows nothing about that. But you, the people, you know things about that. You experience those kinds of things in Providence. So God lets them to be stuck with their king. But He wants them to know their sin and repent of it, which in actual fact they do in verse 19. We have added on to our sins this evil to ask us a king. At last, a repentance. The meeting then is a place that allows for God to have a say. For the Lord to interact. For the Lord to work. To come even in a miraculous fashion. That's the thing about meetings. The Lord can suddenly break into them. He does that. Suddenly come. Suddenly bless in a marvelous fashion, suddenly give a powerful move of his spirit. The Lord blesses recordings. I have no doubt about that. But not like this. Not like this. Breaking into an assembly of saints. And that's what we have here. A breaking in of the Lord every It filled the atmosphere of the meeting. You can't replicate that. And that's why God gives us meetings. You don't get this on a CD. Behold, the Lord says, I'll send my messenger. Always a messenger. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to a stand. This temple. Time, space, place. Where the people meet. Remember Pentecost? Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled. All the house. Where they were sitting. Where they were sitting. Just like you are today. The Lord suddenly came. And he filled the whole house. Honest people. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. At the meeting. They're at the meeting. Acts 4 verse 31. When they had prayed. The place. Was shaken. The very place. That has actually happened in church history many times. The very place. Shaken. Physically shaken. Shaken but especially more frequently the people where they were assembled together you see how the Holy Spirit puts it all time and time again the place where they were assembled together was shaken who would forsake the assembly to join an online church that's not biblical that's not how the Holy Spirit works house of Cornelius While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Peter remembered it. And he told the people in Jerusalem, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them in the house of Cornelius, as on us at the beginning. It's time, space. It's a meeting place. I'm not finding fault with recordings or even with live broadcasting, broadcasting outside the flock. But I think it's something we need to think carefully about and not jump on the bandwagon of live broadcasting. May it not a time hamper blessing? May it not hamper meetings? I'm only thinking out loud here. If it helps others, you know, outside the meeting, it might. But... Might it not somehow harm us, hamper us? Which is the most important thing of all really our meeting place. Not outside there. This is an important place for us. We don't want anything to hamper our meeting. Might it prevent the preacher saying things? Thinking he has to, oh, worry about it being heard out there by the pagans, by the wicked. Could he end up in a court? Could he end up being pursued? In a legal case, you know, I have to watch what I say. Is this a thing going to tie and hamper preachers? I want to do this, I want to say that, but I can't because strangers might be watching. Or I might want to say something personal, as sometimes I do, address the flock, rebuke the flock perhaps. And but, oh, well, we better be careful, I don't want that being seen. That might be misread outside. Live broadcasting. to a greater or a lesser extent it must do. Live broadcasting we are to be careful of it. You can't be rebuked the same. Your sin not exposed the same. Can't be dealt with personally things such as Samuel here is doing to the people of Israel here. I'm sure he, he wouldn't want Philistia to hear all of this. He wouldn't want the Ammonites to hear the kind of things that they saying here to Israel. There are things to be said. That are not for outside ears. That's the truth of the matter. There are things. The preacher might want to tell you. That he doesn't want to tell others. Sometimes. The preacher might even have to say. This isn't to be recorded. There's nothing unusual about that. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about that. But more importantly, may it not also hinder the Lord in some way? May not the Lord say, I would give them something special. But it would only be for them. Just them. Just my wee flock. I would visit them. I would do a marvelous thing amongst them. But I refuse to do it to outsiders. I refuse to make it visible for outsiders. Would the Lord say that? Would he? I might be wrong, but I, I don't think I can picture the early church erring all before the world. I don't think that. The meeting was for Israel this meeting. For all of Israel. Not for the Philistines. Not for Nehash the Ammonites, But for the people. The first Lord's Day meetings were behind closed doors. The early church continued this practice because the world hated them. The pagans persecuted them. They were in danger if what they did was known throughout all the wicked. They did not err things before a world that persecuted them, that wanted to find fault with them. The church was Godward, not manward. The church was a fold of safety to the flock, the sheep, not a festival to entertain the goats. Yes, they evangelized by their lives, and they taught the gospel, but you had to be baptized. To be in the heart and center. Of the church's orthodoxy. And get all the counsel of God. As only the people of God could receive it. These things aren't to be cast as pearls before swine. Holy things were not for the heathen. The gospel was. The need to repent and be right with God was. That was for them, they hear. But perhaps you say we have nothing to hide. That is true. But God has. He hides things. Remember Jesus? I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Thou hast hid these things. From the wise and prudent. From the worldly. But you've revealed them unto your children. Unto your babes. God meets with the little children. With his people. With the converted. Except you be converted and become his little children. That's who he meets with. And our great high priest, he stands among us and he says, Behold I and the children which you've given me, Father. That's what he says to me. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. Behold, I and the children which you've given me. Now, I don't say all of this to run down and say live broadcasting is wrong. I'm not saying that. But what I say is that being at the meeting, life is primarily God's way. That's the message tonight. It's primarily God's way. Not everything ought to be broadcast. And God's blessing is usually and most often in the actual meeting itself. You know, it's my opinion that modern technology is not that important to the Holy Ghost. It means very little to the Lord. I mean, if it did, if it was the end all and the be all, why didn't Christ come in the age of video and live broadcasting? Do you ever think about that? I mean, we've had 7,000 years of human community on this planet. And the video age has only the last, what, 75 years? What's God been doing? The technological age is just a blip. The Holy Ghost has been working for seven millennia without it. Multiple revivals, multiple awakenings, multiple movings of God, multiple reformations. Thousands and thousands of people traveling miles to get to a meeting that's barely announced. That's how the Holy Spirit works. I also have to ask, why have we not had great revivals and reformations in the video age? Why do we never see it on video? Why do we never hear it on CD? The great awakenings. The crying out, what must I do to be saved? What's happened this technological age? That we don't see what we read about in church history. We need to rethink some of these things. And get back to the power and trust of the Holy Spirit and obeying the word of God and just being at the meeting with God's people might it not be that the video had somehow is hampering and harming church life and meetings do you ever think about that do you ever think that's why people are not keeping Sabbath and coming out to church might life broadcasting be doing some harm to little assemblies little flocks of God here and there and yonder because people are staying at home and aren't bothering the head and joining some big church on the internet. As I say, I'm only thinking out loud, I'm not being controversial, I, I'm just, you know, this just I'm just looking at the text, and these thoughts have come to me as I've thought about this. And I say these things not to be critical, but I say these things to impress on you meetings, 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 live meetings of the saints. That's what I want to impress on you tonight. The church here in Guildford, not the internet church on the screen. Here in thy name we are gathered. Come and revive us, O Lord. There shall be showers of blessing. Thou hast declared in thy word. Brethren and sisters, revival came to the church, and it came to the congregation. It comes to the meeting. God breaks into the meeting. So let no one think that stay at home and join the internet church pleases God. Let no sin think that. I did Gilgal at the meeting. This is the will of God.